0: Welcome to Monticello Podcasts, where we look at various aspects of Monticello, Thomas Jefferson, and the work of the Thomas Jefferson Foundation, which has owned and operated Monticello since 1923. I'm Chad Woolerton, Monticello's webmaster. Quick question. Who wrote the United States Constitution? Did you answer Thomas Jefferson? Well, if you did, you're wrong. James Madison is most often described as the father of the Constitution but several other people also played key roles in the development of the final document. In fact, Jefferson wasn't even in the United States when the Constitutional Convention was underway. He was more than 3,000 miles away, serving as the United States Minister to France. But the author of the Declaration of American Independence and of the Statute of Virginia for Religious Freedom did have some strong opinions. This time we present three letters, two from November 1787 and one from the following December in which Jefferson shared some of his earliest thoughts on the new constitution. The recipients of these letters were John Adams, Adams' son-in-law, William Stephen Smith, and James Madison. The letters, read by Bill Barker of Columbia Williamsburg, are presented in full in separate MP3 files on this website. There's a lot going on in them, so recently I sat down with Jeff Looney, editor-in-chief of the Papers of Thomas Jefferson Retirement Series, to get his interpretation of the letters and to provide some background.
1: Well, I think these three letters are very uh, interesting in a variety of ways, but uh, obviously what makes them especially significant is that they are his first reaction to having seen the Constitution as it emerged from the Constitutional Convention. Uh, Jefferson is uh, part of an extended discussion among Americans at home and abroad, and he's uh, engaging in dialogue at first in these letters uh, with... Uh, diplomats abroad with with John Adams and Adams' son-in-law from whom he has received his first copies of these this document and subsequently this is his first first reaction to it to his lifelong friend and collaborator James Madison to whom Jefferson's opinion of the Constitution would have been especially important. Uh, He had several reactions uh, some of them quite positive but his, his objections Uh, were mostly concerned with his his fear of uh, uh, excessive government power. He was uh, deeply concerned Mm -hmm. by the lack of term limits, Uh, term limits in every instance, as he said, but especially term limits for the president. He felt that if a president could be reelected at four-year intervals, uh, he would basically uh, never stop getting reelected. And he, he advances examples of that having been true in Europe Uh, in recent and past European history, and he basically concluded that uh, the effect of this would be a de facto uh, monarchy and that uh, that would mean European influence uh, in the elections because foreign powers would see how important these elections were and they would interfere. And the example he cites is that of Poland, where that's precisely what happened in the election of Polish Polish kings. He was deeply concerned by the lack of a Bill of Rights, uh, which he felt that uh, all people, you know, people had a right to in every document, uh, no matter what. Uh, and he gives examples of what should fall in, in such a Bill of Rights, most of which we would recognize, but one of which uh, he repeats a couple of times is that there should be provisions against standing armies, uh, which I don't think makes it into the final, final Bill of Rights. Uh, one particularly interesting thing is that he felt that uh, judicial review, I uh, didn't call it that, but he felt that judicial review should be uh, uh, brought in as well, again, as a way to, in this case, limit limit legislative power uh, in tandem with the president's veto would be some ability of the judicial branch to uh, react to and uh, control legislative enactments.
0: That was an interesting one because you know, he becomes so against judicial review later on in his career, um, particularly when it comes to Marbury Madison. He's sort of outraged at the claim for that, but that one occurs to me that that the judicial review that's ultimately established is more final than what he might be proposing here in that it would be more of a veto power so it would be it could be overruled by the same way a modern day presidential veto can be overruled um, so' they it wouldn't, it wouldn't be the final right. final say yeah. but would also make that more likely to occur if it were just I mean if if it, the judiciary been given veto we probably would have the judiciary. In more often,
1: yeah, to yeah, be more involved on in a regular basis, I think that would have been interesting. Yeah, it would have been a very different type of judicial review, but that he was it, it will disposed to speak of, to it in any way at all, I think, is, is quite interesting. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, he uh, he was concerned that the uh, uh, just generally with the t- tendency toward excessive power, and he he's very much writing in the context of Shays' Rebellion in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, in the context there was there had been a, a, an outbreak of, of, of uh, popular uh, re- revolution, which he basically regarded as not that big a deal, nothing to get too excited about, and, in fact, a healthy thing in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, any government. And uh, he felt that to avoid popular unrest, the answer is not more government power, but rather a better educated and informed public. And uh, so it's, it's quite a different view. Um his solution to his concerns uh, as he expresses it kind of in a tentative way here but more directly in a, in a subsequent letter uh, was that the uh, uh, no he, he writes this back to uh, William Stephen Smith, one of the people he's writing to here he says that if he were living in America he would he would support the uh, passage of the Constitution very strongly until nine states had adopted it. And then he would move over, and justice strongly suggest that nobody else into, uh, pass the Constitution until they got a bill of rights, so he basically felt that uh, to save the advantages of the new constitution, it should be brought into effect, but that uh, you know four states should stay out until there was a bill of rights, <laughs> so that uh, that could be absolutely uh, guaranteed to happen.
0: What was the precedent for a bill of rights at
1: that point? Well, uh, it grows out of the English tradition, where uh, it's it's an unwritten constitution, and the Bill of Rights is uh, 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 part of uh, what is implemented in the 17th century, uh, the Glorious Revolution, I think. Um, But it basically was uh, established several several rights which would be uh, enacted against any or enforced against any subsequent government power in uh, In some ways, it goes back to Magna Carta, although more the myth of Magna Carta in subsequent centuries than, than what it actually meant at the time right. but there was you know, the immediate precedent is the Bill of rights that 's enshrined in the, uh, the virginia constitution okay. and uh, that 's in seventeen seventy six so he, he felt you know the Virginia precedent was very strong, and that 's the that, that 's uh, the version that uh, George mason had, had basically written and enshrined in the Virginia Constitution. Um, well, another interesting thing would be uh, the reaction of John Adams. Uh, to whom yeah. Uh, Jefferson is writing. <laughs> questions about that. And, uh, you know, I, I take a look at that, and Adams writes back to Jefferson, uh, and, uh, you know, he says, well, you are afraid of the one, I of the few. He says, we're both in agreement that, uh, you know, popular rights need to be supported, but." Uh, uh, he feels that Jefferson leans too far in being afraid of what the president might do. Uh, Adams, on the other hand, is very concerned about the Senate uh, becoming too powerful, yeah. and he's especially concerned with the Senate having a role in the uh, appointment of offices, right, the
0: confirmation process. Confirmation that we today. process.
1: Yeah. He'd like to see a privy council. kind of like the Council of State that was in existence in in Virginia and other states at the time, but not uh, the the Senate, and not an elective branch having having a role in that, uh, which he thought would make them too strong. Uh, He also doesn't share Jefferson's concern about uh, the president's being able to run for uh, re-election. In fact, he says, You are apprehensive of the president when once chosen will be chosen again and again as long as he lives. So much the better, as it appears to me. Uh, he's, he basically feels that the president should be uh, very, very rarely elected or reelected because he's concerned about uh, the potential disruptive influence of, of elections. Right. Uh, he wants fewer elections because he feels that uh, the potential for... Uh, foreign influence and other kinds of uproar are too strong when you hold any election. So he says, "Elections, my dear sir, I look at with terror." Uh, <laughs> whereas uh, Jefferson feels quite the opposite. He feels that holding them frequently reduces their ability to are importance. So any one election doesn't have the kind of right. cosmic influence that would lead to that kind of.
0: Concern. It's funny that they both see the same boogeyman. Yeah, um, they do, yeah, but they have different answers. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Can I ask you about that? The um, you know the, the the two had been friends for a long time mm-hmm. up to this point, and and just a year and a half earlier uh, had spent time together in England, traveling around, and then Jefferson kind of when he writes this letter too, he just he's writing about all these different things, and he just kind of comes out very bluntly and says, "So what do you think of the of the new Constitution?" And then goes and really gives his response. It's almost like it's just a polite thing to ask before. He gives his opinion. Mm -hmm. But it almost seems like this might be the very beginning of the rift between them, um, that they all of a sudden kind of look, and there's something very important at play now, and they come to opposite conclusions about certain things, about the, especially about the presidency and about the power of the federal government.
1: I don't think you were ever going to be able to uh, paper over this kind of fundamental difference mm-hmm. of opinion mm-hmm. they had on this. Uh, I do think it's a, a, a astute observation that in some ways this is the seed of what became a bigger and a bigger and a bigger philosophical mm-hmm. difference between them. Uh, and it certainly is fully in, in play by the early 1790s when Adams right. comes out with a, a book that uh, Uh, is regarded widely as a strong endorsement of of limited monarchy, which uh, Adams himself thought was grossly unfair, but (laughs) it's certainly true that he had argued that uh, uh, in very much the same way that uh, the uh, the concern against anarchy and uh, oligarchy was uh, uh, really the thing to be worrying about much more than uh, the executive. Uh, But I do think in some ways this is the beginning of what for quite a long time, is a very uh, kind of tough-minded but respectful disagreement that they had. Right, I think right. they were they were perfectly able to uh, give and take in that without it becoming you know, deeply personal or problematic. Okay. And I think that's very much their attitude about each other right right into the mid 1790s when when things took a more serious turn.
0: Now this um, the letter that Jefferson writes to uh, Colonel Smith, who is Adams' son-in-law. Mm-hmm. Um, that one is interesting, he doesn't spend too much time talking about the particulars of the Constitution itself, but he does use the opportunity to talk about Shea's Rebellion and comes up with a couple of choice quotes. It's the um, the Tree of Liberty quote. Does that quote haunt him um, in his, during his political career? It seems like a very strong statement to make um, and then to send right into a letter. and hope that it never gets out. I mean, (laughs) I I don't know how he felt about it. He thought it was one of the smarter things that he'd said, but it is something um, that is kind of a disturbing image.
1: Well, it is a very strong image, a very strong statement. Uh, He repeats something like that a couple more times Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. around the same time. Uh, I don't know, I don't think it actually became public knowledge until after he died, Uh, but it's certainly one of any number of very outspoken uh, statements he's, he makes it various times throughout his career it's probably one reason he's very concerned not to have his name actually put in front of some of the things he says. right and, right right uh, there's a different version of the letter to Adams that he sends to uh, Uriah Forrest a few days later that uh... you know it's, he he basically with a with some some in a few a few important changes but he basically says I just finished you asked me my opinion of the constitution I just sent it to Mr. Madison so I'll copy that to you so he he copies it to him and it's verbatim the same in many places but there are a few important differences This is
0: this okay, so it's a letter to Adams or to Madison
1: I'm sorry this would be the letter to Madison right Okay Madison okay uh, but in that letter he uh he says at the end uh, of his you know, introduction to this long extended quote from the Madison letter um that uh, he, uh, this man Forrest, can make what use of it he likes, except that he wants his Jefferson's name kept out of it. <laughs>
0: um,
1: so you know, he says, "Go ahead, and use it, but don't you put my name on
0: can, it. You can quote uh, me, but don't you know, you don't, don't assertment the quote." Yeah.
1: And I think you know, this is part of a, a, a very long, lifelong attempt to uh, avoid getting into too much trouble with some of his more outspoken uh, formulations.
0: And, so and yet, it. feeding some good language or what he thinks might be some good arguments yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. It, that support his beliefs
1: yeah well the letter itself uh the letter to Forrest, has a a a great summary of jefferson's views of the constitutional convention (laughs) uh the people in it and uh you know the kind of mistakes that he thought they'd made he says i suppose i see much precious improvement in it but some seeds of danger which might have been kept out of sight of the framers by a consciousness of their own honesty and a presumption that all succeeding rulers will be as honest as themselves (laughs) he basically says that uh you know, these guys are maybe a little bit too uh, sure that everybody will be as uh, uh, righteous as they are uh, <laughs> and that they might have missed some stuff that way but, you know, so in effect he's saying they might have been a little naive, naive.
0: <laughs> uh, but in a much more polite way that's funny yeah the um I, I, another thing about the um the letter to smith that that is interesting because he repeats this in the letter to madison is that calculation that he does about the frequency of revolutions and it's it's, it strikes me in two ways. First of all, it's just Jefferson's penchant for calculating things, uh, especially when to us sometimes they seem like mm, it's kind of strange. But the other thing, too, is that when he makes the calculation, he counts each state mm-hmm. yeah. as its own country. So it really does. Kind of
1: cheating there.
0: I it's think. a little bit of cheating, but it also then shows that he's not completely of the Union. He's yeah. He still thinks that states are their own entities, their own sovereign entities, and that the Union is just sort of a, an agreement among gentlemen in many ways.
1: Well, until until the Constitution is enacted, uh, he's within his rights to think in those terms. Well, that's I mean, the true. The Constitution, the Articles of Confederation are perpetual, but they still don't really unite a single nation in, in the way that the Constitution does. So I think what he's really up to there is to, uh, you, know, you can certainly use the calculation that way, precisely because uh, he still isn't completely convinced that this is going to oh, have yeah, the effect yeah, right. that it ultimately does have right. is, uh, of taking the states and turning them into a state, a nation.
0: Now, with the letter to, to Madison, he spends a little time, as he does with, with, uh, with the letter to Adams, going about some business uh, before jumping to the information about the Constitution. And here again, it's kind of funny because, while be- well, before he said, you know, he just kind of bluntly asks... Uh, Adams, and then launches into his own thoughts about the Constitution. Here he kind of subverts his speaking about the Constitution at all, saying it is as it's a, I've got nothing else better to write. Yeah,
1: yeah, he basically says, let me fill up the page because I don't have anything else to say. So right, so. I'm yeah. tossing some comments on the Constitution.
0: Exactly, what should I talk about? Let me yeah. see. Well, what can I think? Oh, the Constitution. And of
1: course, um, that's, that's disingenuous or, <laughs> or polite evasion, whatever way you think of it, sure. but, but I think it's very clear that what he's doing there is uh, he's being diplomatic in two sense of the term. Yeah. He's, he's being diplomatic in the sense that he is a diplomat, a United States diplomat at the time, and he knows his role is not to uh, be part of this process. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got to be apart from it so I think that he's uh, distancing himself from the kind of advice he's giving, because he's a, he's a minister of, of the state, right. uh, and not right. somebody who ought to be commenting on these in a way, in a, in a specific way. Uh, but it's also diplomatic in the sense of, uh, uh, you know, not kind of coming to the main point and saying part of the main point is that, you know, you, my friend, have come up with uh, document that I think is deeply flawed in certain ways, Right, right. Uh, so that he can kind of make it more casual by not starting out with uh, you know, saying, what on earth do you think you were doing? <laughs> <laughs> saying rather, you know, that, you know, of course that's also how he, how he starts out, by saying the many good good features he sees in the Constitution.
0: Yeah. And, he had, and he has some wonderful language for it, too, especially the, the captivated uh, when he's talking about the uh, the House and the Senate and the, the vision of uh, representation there.
1: Yeah, but to Madison, unlike the, one of the other letters, he does not say, uh, uh, well, you know, we could have done just as well by keeping the good old uh, Articles of Confederation and making a few choice amendments, uh, Right. Uh, which is kind of how he ends one of his letters. That's right, he does. Why it didn't does. we just kind of leave leave that as it was and preserve it as this kind of sacred relic? Uh, and here he says, he doesn't go into that, but he does um, make the more substantive points that he thinks are more important.
0: Right, right. I've got one last question for you because there was a phrase that struck me, and I want to see if... Your thoughts about this agree with mine. Mm-hmm. It's in the letter to Colonel Smith, and he's talking about um, I guess he's talking about the the, the Constitution and uh, probably the the strong presidency, and likens it to setting up a kite to keep the henyard in order. Mm-hmm. First thought, of course, when I heard that was a kite, like you know, flying a kite. Talking about bird. Talking about a bird. Yeah. and uh, So about this is a bird of prey. A bird, right? Right. So he's basically saying
1: that. Uh, to... Uh, to solve a, uh, a problem we're creating a much greater problem.
0: Right. Putting the fox in charge of the hen house essentially. Yeah. Had you ever heard that phrase before? No,
1: but it, uh, it's a nice and colorful phrase. It
0: truly it's is. A, and in this
1: context it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, but absolutely. It's one of a uh, I don't we could probably figure out uh, that he's quoting a a fable of some sort Hmm, okay uh it could be aesop but it could also be who's that there's a french guy fontaine maybe there's a there's a french guy whose fought fables are very much uh uh in use at the time
0: okay but
1: i suspect that it wasn't something he came up with i think it was a a, a kind of a metaphor in popular usage right right there's a there's a later there's a letter that uh i helped annotate a long time ago where Governor morris uh in writing about a later stage of the French Revolution, is uh, uh, talking about King Log. And this is a, uh, an Aesop's fable where uh, the, uh, I think it was the frogs who uh, uh, clamored that they wanted a king and uh, Zeus gave them a log. log. <laughs> and uh, the log uh, didn't satisfy them. You know, the log just sat there doing nothing. And so then he let him have uh, some predator who proceeded to gobble them all up. And he said, you know, what you want is a figurehead. Right, right. That's his (laughs) point. The the, the point of the fable is there are contexts in which a figurehead is what you want. Exactly. Because something with actual power (laughs) is more dangerous. Uh, That kind of thing is uh, comparable to what I think we're talking about here. Yes, that's great.
0: All right, well, thanks.
1: Thank you.